the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. So welcome to the Instructor Podcast and thanks for joining us on the Green Room edition and I am joined by the ever delightful Graham Hooper. How are we doing Graham? I'm doing well, thank you Terry. Thank you for inviting me along, appreciate it. No, thanks for joining us. Um, There's obviously been a little bit of... uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but a little bit of fuss recently about all the standard checks going on. And I thought, I need someone that likes to be, keep their opinion to themselves and not really speak their mind. And um, yeah, I thought, Graham, you seemed appropriate for that. Yeah, thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I might have one or two things to say. I don't think I'm going to, I'm already considering not being, not being Mr. Popular, but then nothing changes. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, I'm happy to discuss whatever you want to discuss about the the new furore um, that seems to be happening. I mean, uh, just for anyone that's been living under a rock, any instructors that've been living under a rock, basically the DVSA have uh, they've set some criteria out, which we can potentially go into more detail on. But they've set some criteria out and said that if you're not reaching this criteria as an instructor around driving tests then you will be issued with a standards check. That's the the basic premise of it. I know there's been a few little wrinkles around that, but I'd, I'd just like to get your, your initial thoughts on that. My initial thoughts is what's, what's act, you know, I, I, there is sort of nuances that are, you know, but over, overall, what's wrong with it? You know, what's wrong with targeting people who are performing badly? Um, you know, it, the, the, I think I'm going to go and say, and I said this to someone the other day, yeah, and I blame my mother, yeah, without a doubt. And I don't, you know, there's no higher authority in the world than my mother, and probably not in the universe either. Um, but she said to me growing up, she said, son, life ain't fair. Get on with it. And uh, I think that sort of sticks with me with this sort of thing. I mean, I looked at it and it reminds me of sometimes how I deal with things. And I thought, what's the worst thing that's going to, if they targeted me, for example, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? And I thought, I get a standards check. And I thought, yeah, it's inconvenient. I don't particularly want one. I won't be jumping up and down with joy. But it actually, then no one's, no one's sticking red hot pokers in my eyes. You know, um, could I, is, is, I don't see a problem with actually taking a standards check. I don't see a problem in taking a standards check and trying to achieve 51 out of 51. I'm actually, uh, I suppose, someone who thinks that the National Driver Rider Training Standards are pretty damn good on paper. Yeah. On paper. So, yes, I have my, the downside is I think is how it, how it could be interpreted by driving instructors and driving instructors end up focusing on a fault-focused approach and a test-focused approach because of the fear factor. You know, if I don't get people through in five faults or less, um, I'm going to be targeted for a standards check. Well, actually, I, th- I think that um, they've got limited resources it is going to be the poor performing ADIs who are going to be targeted. It's going to be low Bs and fails or people who continually bring up the below par candidates for test. And the devious say know who they are. 
And all the DVSA actually is saying is we're putting this up front. We've been doing this for years. They've been targeting poor performing ADIs for a long time. They told us actually years ago that that's what they were going to do. And all this, I'm not putting my badge in the window. Well, they know who you are. You turn up at the test centre. They know your face. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm, it's not good. You know, they know your car. It's not going to work. I think from an ADI's point of view, that there's a lot more people uh, taking their tests in their own cars. Yeah. And so the records for an ADI's performance are not going to be true. Uh, and I think, yeah, that's that's a problem. But why aren't you keeping your own records anyway? Yeah. You know, keep your own records. You know, I think if I went back 20-plus oh, years um, the DVSA actually went through a phase where they used to email the analyst report out. Um, and all I can say is when I got that report, I used to, it really helped me, actually, because I remember that uh, I was really surprised with the amount of um, minor driving errors that my clients had on mirrors. I didn't have anyone actually fail on mirrors, but I had lots of minor faults on mirrors. And what it did is when I looked at this and I see this one was sticking out like a sore thumb, I thought, okay, I changed the way that I taught mirrors. And it was very effective. And yeah. then all of a sudden my clients, well, I was hardly having any faults on mirrors. So I think we've got to look at the positives from an industry how can we take what that reporting is, is, is saying and look at it and say, how can I improve what I'm doing so I get less faults in these areas? We're all jumping up and down. I think we're all, you know, lots of people jumping up and down because we've had a hard time. But then the country and the world's had a hard time. And I think it's a knee-jerk reaction to change. Who likes change? Yeah. It is a typical human response to change. But if we didn't change, we'd still be living in a cave and rubbing two sticks together. Yeah. So let's move forward. Let's make this, if this makes us, and there isn't any evidence yet, will it make us more professional? Will it make us bring up clients of a better standard? If that's the aim, we should be backing it. If that's the objective to actually improve the standard of driving in the UK and that we're actually, and actually, Terry, the secret to this, the, the, the secret to, to actually getting great test results is to focus your training on post-test environments. And when I say that, that's about making sure that people, and it is safe driving for life. It is the higher levels of the goals for driver education, not the bottom levels. I mean, and it all seeps through, but, you know, the ability to move a car and mastering traffic situations, that happens naturally. They, they learn that. Journey planning and how their personality and how their emotions affect their driving is where we should still be focusing with our driver training because the number one reason 
I hear ADIs saying that their clients failed, failed the test, is nerves. Well, if you're helping people to cope with their emotions prior to the test and also being able to cope with their emotions after the test, then we're doing safe driving for life. I mean, my concern is that, oh, they failed because of nerves. My concern from a road safety point of view is this person fails because of nerves on a driving test and they make a serious or dangerous error. What happens if they have a nervous episode when they're out on the road? What is the consequences then? You know, if they're nervous before they take the test, their nerves going to disappear? I know that and we all, every single one of us, have a little bit of nerves when we go in for a test, but it does mean you're alive and it can help you focus. I think you, you've touched on a lot of things, a lot of bits there, and I want to come back on some of them. And the first one I'm going to mention, you were giving the example of how you used your uh, your own sort of records of tests to, to better yourself. And and when I first started, so I've, I think I'm going back four years now. I've been doing it six years. I think I was two years in for this. I didn't have an awful lot of records around tests. But I went through a stage, I think it was like four or five fails in a row. And that was the first time that had happened to me. And I felt absolutely demoralised. And I went to the test centre and, and I had two tests on one day. And the same examiner took them both out and they both failed. So afterwards, I called the examiner and said, can I have a quick word? I said, are you seeing anything in these guys that's reflected in me? And I can't remember exactly what he said, but basically the point he was making to me was, I think that you're trying too hard as an instructor now. He says that you've you've got these this little run of fails, so you're trying too hard to help them. Yeah. And I stepped back and I thought, he's right. I've come away from the whole client-centered stuff. I've come away from the whole coaching stuff. And it's like, whenever they've got a tiny problem, I'm diving in to help them. Yeah. And from that, that then helped me get better. So it was, if those faults hadn't occurred, if an examiner hadn't spoke to me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been got better from that. So I think that's a really key point you make there about finding out what we're doing badly. Yes, it can be embarrassing. Yes, it can be uncomfortable. But it can only ever be a good thing in the long run. I think, Terry, what you were talking about there reminds me of the biggest problem ADIs have. Yeah, One, they're nice people. Actually, I'm going to give the second one. The, the second one is the biggest. Yeah, They're serial helpers. Yeah. And that being a serial helper does not give your client responsibility. You have to not help them because what happens is when we sit next to them, they automatically seem to feel that you're in charge. They don't realize that on day one, when they get in the driver's seat, they are responsible for the vehicle. So actually on day one, we should be tell me, show me day one. That should actually, maybe if that's the first thing we should do, because the client, if you turn up for a lesson, you've got four bald tires, yeah, and the client, you're out there driving, and, the, and when the, you get pulled over, and the client gets 12 points on their license and a ban. <laughs> and he's going, How did that happen? I'm in a driving lesson car, yeah. Well, because you're the driver, you're responsible for the vehicle day one. Oddly enough, I had a, a conversation with a student today because uh, she 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 wants checking her mirrors and checking it was safe when she was pulling up on left. 
but she were doing it elsewhere and sort of sporadically. And I was kind of asking her where she thinks it come from, and, and her response really intrigued me. She said that in her head, because I ask to turn left or turn right, or when her parents ask her to turn left or turn right, because they've told her to do it, she assumes she has to do it, and yeah. therefore it must be safe. And we had quite a, an in-depth chat about it, and then for the rest of the lesson, she's nailing it, because mm. I spoke about you've got a learner mentality, you need a driver mentality, yeah, and that just that obviously that phrase won't work for everyone, but it worked for her and it clicked. And I think that's I think what you said there is key. We're helping too much, and that's it's a nice trait to have, but it's not producing that level of driving we're after. And again, I'll pick up on what you said about about mindset. Learners, you know, will turn left if you told them to turn left, and they're turning left into the junction and they can't get in there. But they'd still, and the LGV is coming up behind them. They're still going to stop, yeah, because they could, to get into the junction and be obliterated by the LGV because you told them to turn left. Yeah. Because they haven't learned to check their mirrors and go, oh, actually, if I stop, that's going to hit me. I better carry on going. Yeah. Yeah, because they've been conditioned. That's what it, you know, that's the problem lots of, and I think it's improved, uh, but if I go back when I started 26 years ago, there was a lot of what I call operant conditioning, uh, like Pavlov's dogs. You know, <laughs> you, you know, ADI takes their pupil to test. When the examiner speaks, yeah, you check your mirrors. Hello, John, nods the head and checks all the mirrors. Yeah, How are you today? Nods the head and checks all the mirrors. Yeah. Um, because when the examiner speaks, check your mirrors. If you check your mirrors, you won't fail your test. So you've got like a, a command, a response, a reward, which is conditioning. And yeah. we've got to be aware of that, that we maybe subliminally condition our clients without even realising it. And we need to look at ourselves more. ADIs complain about a standards check. And the problem is that actually we've not checked enough. Yeah, I'm not talking about getting an examiner to check. Get a great trainer in the back yeah. to watch you or film yourself, Yeah, come home, sit in a dark room, get a large glass of whatever your favourite is, yeah, and watch yourself and then start going... Oh, no, did I really do that? Because we don't hear what we say and we don't see what we do in the moment and we don't realise it. And if you want to improve, that is absolutely an excellent way to do it. And then if you get a trainer to look at it, they pick out the, the bits and pieces. Do you know your language? Does it really, it really says this? Then, you know, how is your client? interpreting what you say yeah so it's 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 really important and i'm not saying that abis do this all the time because they don't but it's they, they don't have to do it very often and if you you know and none of us in you know especially me yeah none of us are perfect we all make mistakes i learn everything i know about coaching and driver development by cocking it up first yeah 
You know, not not particularly proud of that my learning style. Um, it's not the best learning style in the world. It's put me in some embarrassing places at times. Um, but if you become a reflective practitioner, then you will learn and improve and step forward. So we've got to be careful of that conditioning and that serial helper. Yeah. And I welcome the standards check because it's about standards. Yeah. And and just coming back to the standards check and the way, it, the, obviously bringing it into tying it in with test results, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this because you mentioned something there about um, being trained for a test rather than being trained to, to drive. We we know there's instructors out there that still do that, that will teach specific test rules and don't do this on your test, do this on your test. Do you think, and I'm going to caveat this for I say it, in that the DVSA only have certain things they can work with. And the biggest one they've got is our pass rates. You know, it's not like they can just magically know who everyone is and what everyone's doing. There's certain things they have to work with. But do you think there's a danger of letting the people that letting the ADIs that focus on tests rather than driving actually get away with that because they've potentially got the higher pass rate as a as a consequence of that? I would imagine, in my opinion, that um, if people are just focusing on tests and focus and a full focused approach, I'm not sure. I don't know. But I'm not sure they're going to get a higher pass rate. Right. I think the ADI who teaches someone to drive independently will have a higher pass rate than the focused approach. And if you think of it this way, that if you're developing a thinking driver, then from day one, they're thinking because driving is about decision making. And if we're full focused, they're not making decisions. We're doing, we're, you know, what tends to happen is in the old fashioned world, you identify the fault, you analyze the fault, and you tell them how to correct the fault. There's no decision or thinking going on from them. So I'm not sure. I think then, if, you know, if that's the case, you can manipulate your pass route, pass, pass rate by choosing easy times to take your tests. Yeah. You know, I know that when there was, you know, Saturday mornings uh, at Wood, Wood Green, when I was there, had the, the, the lowest pass rate in the country. It ran at about 27%. Saturday mornings, if you went for the eight, eight, I think it was the 840 test on a Saturday morning, you know, anyone would pass because no one got up. You know, yeah. there was no... So it all of a sudden it's gone from probably one of the hardest test routes in the country around there to actually it's really quite easy just follow the road ahead and less road markings or traffic signs say say otherwise i will tell you to turn left or right in good time and um so there is ways of manipulating your pass rate by choosing times when traffic traffic levels are less um i don't know when that is in london now anymore (laughs) (laughs) um Traffic levels never are never less, but you know, middle of the day there's less traffic around than what there is, you know, at the beginnings and ends. So yeah, I don't think I, I don't know because I haven't got the evidence. It's just my that's my personal opinion. I I can only go on my experience, 
And my experience of teaching people in what I call a post-test environment scenarios gave me an exceptionally high pass rate. So when I looked at uh, when I was in, you know, Wood Green and Winchmore Hill, 27%, 33%, my pass rate was around 60% then. So nearly double. Um, I come down to Ashford in Kent. And I remember I went for my first test actually in Folkestone, which was a mistake. I didn't know the error at, at all. And that was that was sort of because um, you do need to know sometimes a little bit about certain things that will that will crop up on a test route or certain nuances. Um, and my my client failed. And I remember um, going to the debrief and I had a little um, to do with the examiner. I haven't always got on with the examiners. So I had a little to do with the examiner. But long story short, my local test centre was Ashford. And my pass rate, well, in Ashford, it was running under 50%. And my pass rate, I, I, I remember saying to my wife, I can't buy a fail. I said, they're clearing out my customers yeah, <laughs> all the time. I said, you know, this is, I said, I'm getting 90% pass rate first time. I said, this is, this is like, I don't understand what's going on. And I think when I reflect back, I was carrying on teaching to the same standards that I was teaching to in London and the traffic levels in London. And I, and I took my clients and I went hunting for difficult places for them to drive in. And so then when they went for their test, it was easy. Yeah. So I do understand that ADIs who are in inner city places are going it, to, it's a far more challenging, I think, to get people to pass a test than what you're going to do for argument's sake in the Isle of Skye or the Outer Hebrides. There's not so many decisions to make. Yeah. But, uh, but I think that the DBSA would surely take that into account, you know, when they're looking. You know, they're still going to focus on the bottom. Yeah. They're not, you know, they're not going to be going on the top. But going back to that, um, the last test I had when I did in Ashford with, with this particular examiner, I sat in the back. Um, and at the end of it, he said, I'm pleased to say um, to, to the client, you, you've you passed. And he said, uh, you, you had, um, I think it was four minor four minor faults or four faults on your, and I'll go through them with you. And he turned around and he said, do you agree with that decision, Graham? And I said, well, no, actually, no. I said, I've got him a six. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, and and I think, the other thing is, because I know this thing about mock tests, you know, and this push for mock tests, In I only ever had one person pass a mock test with me, yeah, and he failed his driving test. I remember the guy called Paul when it was in, it was in Wood, Wood, Wood Green. Um, up until that stage, I never had anyone pass a mock test. Because I use mock tests as development. So they never were really ready when they took a mock. It, it highlighted for them the areas of development. I had yeah. this one guy who passed a mock with me, and he failed his driving test. It's <laughs> like, okay. Um, so it was okay with people failing mocks because they. it was about improving what areas, and they could see clearly then sometimes what areas of development. And the, other, the good thing about mocks is it gets the instructor to shut up. And I think... That's why, and I don't know, but that's why the DVSA are pushing mock tests because the examiners, because the instructors forced to shut up. 
Potentially, but I think if they are, I do believe they should make that clear because I there's there's a lot of talk online, I'm sure you see this, with people talking about the DVSA uh, backtracking from coaching and that's, you know, talking more about mock tests is actually stepping back from coaching and I'm I'm with you on that. I think that the opposite and, and that's why I like using SatNav so much as well because it forces me to show up. You know, and that's still something I'm working on. I'm, as we spoke before, I'm someone that likes to help. And um, so putting a sat-nav on or doing a mock test, even if it's just 10 minutes, it doesn't have to be a full thing where I say, I'm going to show, I'm going to talk for 10 minutes, you're driving us here. It's, it makes me shut up. And I, I, for me, I think they need to, to really clarify why they're doing that and, and come back and stamp their authority again and saying coaching and CCL is still the way forward. Well, the standards haven't changed. The standards are it's clearly in the standards to coach and clearly in the standards to client-centred learning. They haven't rewritten the standards. So I think it's up to ADIs to stop interpreting and looking for hidden messages and go back to the DVSA National Standards for Driver and Rider Training. Until they alter, nothing's altered. Unfortunately, and I think, and part of that, you know, if we go to roll five of that, you know, the, 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 you know, it's about CPD in the standards, continued professional development. Now, I know as um, co managing director of a national training company that only about 5% of ADIs take up CPD. 5%. Yeah. You know, it's such a small marketplace. We have, you know, 2,000 customers. Sounds a lot. How many ADIs are there? About 40, isn't there? 40,000. Yeah, well, I think it's about 36. But, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's just say 40,000 for, for the sake of it. Yeah. So we have 2,000 customers. Sounds a lot of customers, but actually it's in the grand scheme of things. That's 5%, isn't it? 5% yeah. of entire yeah. ADIs, yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not many. And we're, we're the leading training provider in this industry of continued professional development. Um, I think we should start another podcast about conspiracy theories for driving instructors. <laughs> I got through quite popular. Um, yeah, I've, I've definitely. Yes, I, I, I think sometimes when I look at the, you know, the posts on Facebook. Uh, there's no evidence. You know, if you ha- if it's an opinion, say it's an opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I used to talk about, and I still do, fog. Yeah, everything's shrouded in fog. But actually, fog standards stood for fact, opinion, guess. Yeah. Most of it is just guessing, and it's and it's very fear-focused um, guessing. Yeah, it's, it's an emotional guess because ADIs feel attacked by the DVSA at the moment and feel blamed for the poor past results. Um, who is responsible then? That's my question. Who is responsible? Are you going to blame your pupils? Or if you're going to blame your pupils, then, you know, let's have a look at the pupils. Who's training the pupils? It's, you know, we're going around in circles with this because at some stage, someone in our industry has got to take responsibility for the standard of clients who are turning up at the test centre. You know, we all hark on about the school of mum and dad. If we're not doing CPD, the school of mum and dad are not doing CPD. Where's the separation? Yeah. Apart from the fact we take money off our clients. You know? Definitely. And on that note, 
Sorry, go on. I was just to say that's just a concern that, you know, I want this industry to stand out as a profession, to be a shining light for road safety. Um, and I look at the for some of the forums and you think, oh, you know, it's appalling, the bullying, you know, that goes on on social media amongst driving instructors is just appalling. You know, how can we how can we make this acceptable? These people, you know, they're the ones that the DVSA should be targeting. It's Definitely. not acceptable. Um, yeah, and, I, and we're going to pause for a moment at the table, but when we come back, uh, I think I'd like to speak to Graham a little bit more about his opinions on that bullying. Uh, I've got some strong ones. Uh, we'll speak a little bit about the uh, the idea of the, the trailer test being cancelled and delve a little bit more into the standard checks uh, around talking, because I've got an opinion around nervous drivers on the standard checks as well. Uh, and I'll be interested in Graham's thoughts on that. So just to set the table for a second, you're listening to The Green Room, uh, the weekly show where we talk about the news and offer opinions from ADIs around the news and latest goings on within the industry. And as I mentioned, I'm joined by Graham Hooper, Graham Hooper even. So do you want to take a moment to um, tell us about yourself, Graham, and trial coaching and a special little charity event you're doing at the moment. Okay. Um, well, I've been an ADI 26 years. Um, I can go back to uh, coming into this industry, and this is why I don't think it's changed an awful lot, because I came into this industry and I looked around me, um, and I came from a business background, and I looked around me and I thought, there's not a lot of competition here. I could do well in this industry. And I was appalled with the training that I was given. I paid good money for that training. I think I paid nearly £2,000 for it. That was like 27 years ago. It's not moved a lot, has it? And um, I, was, uh, I thought, this, is, this can't be it. And uh, I went off and did my own thing. And uh, I had my first check test, come back and got a four. And I got a four, in my opinion, because I tried to repeat the training that I was delivered because I didn't know. I was scared, didn't know anything else. I thought, oh, no, I better not do it my way because I've been told that this is the this is the way. And um, I got a four and I was absolutely peed off. Yeah, I didn't want a four. And I thought, right, next time... I have a check test. I'm going to just do it my way. And if they don't like it, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. And then the idiots gave me a six <laughs> yeah, for doing it my way. And that was it. Try coaching partnership, really. The seeds were grown then because that's when I, I wrote my 10-year business plan and CPD was part of that 10-year business plan. And in that, I mean, I'd, you know, I got asked to leave school. So, and now I've been to university twice. Well, what went on there? You know, I'm a qualified teacher in adult education, stage one, two, and three. And, um, you know, I couldn't do a master's course in coaching, but I did the master's course in coaching, but could only get a certificate because I haven't done a degree. Right. Um, so they allowed me on there, uh, which was very kind of them. And I was mentored by Dr. Christian Van Uerberg and Dr. Jonathan Passmore, two well-renowned uh, coaches in the UK and we formed Tri Coaching Partnership uh, because we believed that ADIs deserved what I will call proper continued professional development 
And that's when we formed the BTEC Level 4 Professional Award in Coaching for Driver Development. And we had it accredited by an outside source, by Pearson's Edexcel, and they accredited it. And that gave us the inner belief that we were doing the right thing. And it's just grown every, ever, ever, ever since. So I'm passionate about CPD. I'm passionate about road safety. I won't tell you that story maybe another time. But I will like to mention that um, it's 26th of August today, and we're coming up to bank holiday weekend. And I, I don't, if you don't know me, I had reconstructive surgery on my right foot back in February, and I was non-weight bearing for three months. My goal was to walk the London Bridges, and uh, a charity that I've always supported is uh, Prostate Cancer, and I'm supporting that charity. And I'm going into the weekend now, uh, we've raised £1,130 as I speak to Terry now at quarter six on the 26th of August. And you can still support it if you hear this after I've walked it. I'll be posting pictures on Facebook and uh, geeing everyone up and uh, pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. So those who have donated, thank yous ever so much. It's gonna, It's made it so much worthwhile for me. I did do it for personal reasons. It was my personal goal to be able to walk them. But in the process of being able to raise money for a great charity, I'm, I'm just, oh, well, to use a football analogy, I'm <laughs> over the moon. Um, yeah, so, you know, uh, please donate to, to Graham there. There will be links in the show notes when you listen to this. I will also mention, if you've got a tenner to donate for Graham, split it in two and donate a fiver to me, because I've not done a good job of promoting mine like Graham has. I'm also raising money for Diabetes UK by trying to do uh, a million steps across July, August and September. So I actually need to pull my finger out. The steps are going okay, but I'm not telling anyone I'm doing it. I'm not, I'm not promoting it as well as you've got, Graham. Um, but yeah, so if you listen to this show on the podcast version, all those, li- well, on any version, all those links will be in the show notes uh, and they're easy to find just by searching for Tri-Coach. Anyway, heads up, I am doing the BTEC level four at the minute. Now, admittedly, I'm not far into it, but what I've done so far, it's it's brilliant. It's just what I needed right now. So it may not be suitable for you at the moment, but it'll be definitely be suitable for you at some point. So at the very least, go and check it out. And there are links in the show notes for that. If you listen on the podcast version, then... Uh, this is basically all you're getting. And thank you for listening. And every, midweek, every week, we'll be back with another green room to get the full version and exclusive access to all kinds of other stuff that's going on over on Patreon, which is essentially a subscription service. Head over to patreon.com forward slash the instructor. Or again, check the show notes where you'll find a link there. But remember, for now, stay safe. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook. Talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them.